I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. September evening. Dr. Malakis? Jill Johnson was babysitting for the two young children of a wealthy doctor. Okay. Bye. They told her where they would be and when they would be home. They told her everything she had to know, except what to do when a stranger calls. Hello? Have you checked the children? What? Hello, could you get me the police? Well, there's really nothing you can do about it down here. Uh, Have you checked the children? He's watching me through the windows. Well, if he calls again, we can try to trace it. Why haven't you checked the children? Please, can't you help me? I'm all alone here. What do you want? Your blood. Leave me alone! Jill, this is Sergeant Sacker. We've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Jill, just get out of that house. And the terror just begins when a stranger calls. Hi, welcome to Horror vs. Reality. I'm your host, Anastasia, and my co-host Morgan is with me as well. How are you doing, Morgan? I'm doing great. <laughs> Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Um, so, this is our first episode of the new year. Happy new year. Happy New Year. I am still writing 2021 on official documents. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think I filled out anything super official this year, you know, because most of my work is through emails and the emails are just like, you know, automatically dated. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to think about that for a second? <laughs> No, I was just thinking about all the stuff that I don't have to write the date on and then stuff that I do. And the stuff that I do is so important, like someone's uh, death certificate or like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that is super, super important. Yeah, no, I, I haven't done that, luckily. But I did on like a ambulance form, like a, a transfer form once. I don't want to explain Imtala, but I wrote the wrong year on it, and then I had to start over. So. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, it's really okay. Weird. Okay, so today's episode is "When a Stranger Calls" versus 1979. By the way, not the remake with Camilla Bell. 
Ugh. Ugh. You know, I know some people like that one. Our guest that wasn't able to be with us originally likes that one. She's not seen the original yet. Really? But, uh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, she said she wanted to do When a Stranger Calls, and then I was like, which one are you talking about? Can we do the original one? Because I refuse to do <laughs> the new one. Yeah, and she was like, oh, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's my show. Yeah, no. I've I've seen both, but I had seen when a, the original when I was a kid, so it had Same. been a while. Same, I hadn't seen it in at least... I'd say at least 15 years. Yeah, I only remember, like, the first half. See, that's what I'm going to bring up, is that most people only remember the first half, because the first half, it's not even the first half, it's the first 20 minutes is what yes. you remember. Because yeah. that's the best part of the whole fucking movie. True. I agree. We'll get into it more when I start going through it, but it suffers from pacing, for sure. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get into it. Um, anyway, so When a Stranger Calls versus The Murder of Janet Christman. Um, so, yeah, let's first just get a basis here. So, When a Stranger Calls is loosely inspired by Janet Christman's murder. Janet Christman's murder also inspired the babysitter and the man upstairs urban legend yeah so you know it's kind of mythological at this point so you know in the second half of this morgan's going to set you straight on the real events and how they led to a game of telephone and urban legend yeah okay uh when a stranger calls directed by Fred Walton. He is an American film director and screenwriter. Among his films are When a Stranger Calls, April Fool's Day, I Saw What You Did, When a Stranger Calls Back, the sequel to When a Stranger Calls, and The Stepford Husbands. Did you know they made a movie called The Stepford Husbands? <laughs> I did not. It was made for TV, so that tells you a little bit about the quality. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Um, no, it was it was probably on like ABC or NBC, something like that. All of his films are either horror or thrillers for the most part. Most of his films were made for TV movies, with a few exceptions, such as April Fool's Day and When a Stranger Calls, which got full theatrical releases. So let's get into the cast. We're going to start with Carol Kane as the lead, Jill Johnson. She's an American actress and comedian. She became known in the 1970s and 80s in films such as Hester Street, which she received an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress for, as well as films like Annie Hall, which is a personal favorite of mine, and The Princess Bride, which okay. is, right, which is endlessly quotable. My name is Inigo Matoya. I my father. Not prepared to die. <laughs> That's how you introduce yourself. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know what? It would be cheesy, but if I was single and some guy said that to me at a bar, I'd at least talk to him for a little longer. <laughs> I would. I'm just saying that would work on me for a little, for a little while, for at least a drink or two. Yeah. It, yeah. At least a second for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how the conversation goes from there to whether or not I just take the drink and run or not. You know, <laughs> I'm being honest. 
Okay, so um, she also appeared on t- the television series Taxi in the early 1980s as Simka Gravas, wife of Latka, who was played by the legendary Andy Kaufman, a role which won her two Emmy Awards. Off screen, she played the character of Madame Morrible in the musical Wicked, both in the touring production and on Broadway from 2005 to 2014. Uh, From 2015 to 2020, she was part of the main cast of the Netflix series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, in which she played Lillian Koshtupper, Kimmy's quirky landlord. (laughs) Have you ever seen that show? I saw the first few. I couldn't get into it. And I hear it's so good. I should try it again. You should. Like, I was hesitant at first because it seemed almost too cutesy and quirky. Yeah. But Titus Andronicus, her roommate, really makes the show, along with Jane Krakowski, who plays the chick that she nannies for, who's super neurotic and uh, a drunk. But as the show goes on, they kind of manage to give her a soul, if that makes sense. It's good. It's got heart. And it also has... Oh, Fred Armiston's in it? A very small role. Oh, okay. Uh, but the guy from Mad Men. The only one that looks like a madman is John Hamm. John Hamm is the one okay. I'm trying to think of. <laughs> John Hamm. <laughs> yeah. John Hamm plays the cult leader that kidnapped Kimmy Schmidt. Ah, okay. Oh, I didn't know she was in a cult. I thought she just got locked in a vault. No, she was in a doomsday. or something. She was in a doomsday vault. In a doomsday oh. vault. In a vault down there. <sighs> yeah. Cults fascinate me. Me too. I briefly was writing a book on one before I scrapped it because there were too many cult books coming out that year. I was briefly, you know, briefly starting a cult, but got over Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good, Morgan. <laughs> okay, so back to the cast. Uh, Tony Beckley as Kurt Duncan. He was an English character actor, a graduate of the Royal Academy of the Dramatic Art. Beckley went on to carve out a career on film and television throughout the 60s and 70s, often playing villainous roles, as well as being a veteran of numerous stage productions. He made his film debut in Orson Welles' Chimes at Midnight and also had memorable turns in films like Get Carter, When a Stranger Calls, and the original Italian job. Not the one with Marky Mark. I mean, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was he was literally called Marky Mark the Funky Bunch when he was a rapper. So, so lame. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Mark had never heard Mark Wahlberg's music from that time before, so I played it for him the other day. <laughs> it's terrible. It's not good. All right, so on television, he frequently played villains as well. Most memorably, Chase Harrison in the six-part Doctor Who storyline, The Seeds of Doom. Brought it back to Doctor Who again. (laughs) Yeah. It always comes back around full circle. It does. It does. Sadly, Beckley died six months after the premiere of When a Stranger Calls, apparently from a cancerous tumor. Oh, damn. Yep. He is buried in the famous Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Oh, man. That was like the peak of his career, too. It's like picking up. Yeah. He was done. Yeah. So Charles Durning as John Clifford. He was an American actor who appeared in over 200 movies and television shows and plays. Uh, during Durning, 
Durning? Yeah, that's his last name. D-U-R-N-I-N-G. Durning. Oh, I thought you were mispronouncing doing. No. He was doing. No. (laughs) (laughs) He was durning Uh, it. No. (laughs) Durning's best-known films include The Sting, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Muppet Movie. But he was also in horror films such as Brian De Palma's twin psycho thriller Sisters, as well as De Palma's supernatural thriller the Fury. Also, he was obviously in When a Stranger Calls and its TV movie sequel, When a Stranger Calls Back. Uh, he was also in Stephen King's made-for-TV film uh, Desperation and 2008's I Murders with Billy D. Williams. That's right, Lando himself from Star Wars. Oh, Lando. Yeah. Was that him? I knew I saw him. I was like, I know that actor and I couldn't find him. He, no, 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 no. Billy T. Oh. You're not listening. I'm sorry. No, Billy D. Williams was with Charles Durning in the 2008 film I Murders. Oh. Yes. No, who you're thinking of would be the actor Ron O'Neill. And he plays Lieutenant Charlie Garber, but we'll get to him in a minute. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I went way off. You're good. I need to stop trying to pull these people up. I'm like, oh, I need a face to what she's saying. <laughs> Put the fucking computer down, Morgan. He was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for both The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Dolly Parton and To Be or Not To Be. Prior to his acting career, Durning served in World War II and was decorated for valor in combat. Shit, man. Yeah, and he is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Oh. Yeah. All right, so Carmen Argenziano as Dr. Mandrakis. He was an American actor who appeared in over 50 movies and around 100 television movies and episodes. He is best known for playing Jacob Carter on Stargate SG-1. He had reoccurring roles on Booker, L.A. Law, Melrose Place, and The Young and the Restless as well as minor roles in The Godfather Part Two, Angels and Demons, and The Accused. Colleen Dewhurst as Tracy. She was a Canadian-American actress, mostly known for theater roles. She was a renowned interpreter of the works of Jean O'Neill on stage, and her career also encompassed film, early dramas on live television, and Joseph Papp's New York Shakespeare's Festival. One of her last roles was playing Marilla Cuthbert in the Kevin Sullivan television adaptations of the Anne of Green Gables series, and her reprisal of the role in subsequent TV series Road to Avonlea. Her career is, like, really not exciting. Yeah, very <laughs> theatrical. Yes, I'm sure it was a great career for her. Not my taste. I read theater. Yeah, I read End of Green Gables, the first book or whatever, when I was a kid. But I never had a desire to watch the Netflix show. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I read it. I read the first one, I think. Yeah, it was good when I was like 10. I just wanted her hair. Because I, I don't know how many fucking descriptions of her hair in that book there is, but <laughs> that's like one of the main parts I remember is like her hair and like her clothes. And I was like, I want to be her. But really, that's all I remember. I don't even remember what kind of personality she had. Was she funny? I have no idea. Don't remember. <laughs> Just wanted like, her hair. I feel like she was kind of rambunctious for where she was living or something. But Ooh, uh, yeah. I ride a horse like a man. 
<laughs> no, I don't feel like it was like that. I felt like she was just really full of life and wasn't a good little prim and proper girl. The people taking care of her wanted her to be. Ah. Uh. But that's all I remember about that. Because, again, I read it, like, mm, 23 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I read it when I was really young. Yeah, I read it when I was, like, 10. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so Ron O'Neill, who I just told you about a second ago, as Lieutenant Charlie Garber. He was an American actor, director, and screenwriter who rose to fame in his role as Youngblood Priest, a New York cocaine dealer, in the black exploitation film Superfly from 1972, and its sequel, Superfly TNT from 1973. Oh, that's where I remember him from. Okay. O'Neill was also a director and writer for the sequel, and for the film Up Against the Wall. His most famous horror role was the detective in Puppet Master 5, the final chapter, which, by the way, as is usually the case, it is far from the last film in the Puppet Master franchise. (laughs) This is the end of the first part. (laughs) There are 13 Puppet Master movies currently. And a Yeah. And a spinoff one about the puppet with the knife called Blade, the Iron Cross. (laughs) (laughs) Tragically, O'Neill died in 2004 from pancreatic cancer. The Nazi Uh, one always scared me. And the one with the little head. Well, they're they're actually, if, if you've watched the films closely, they're actually all kind of Nazi puppets. Oh, are they all? Well, the puppet... Well, the puppet master was a Nazi sympathizer or something, so yeah. Or the puppet master was a Nazi. Those goddamn Nazis. <laughs> At least in the first movie, uh, it gets. It's been a while. Yeah, I actually rewatched the first one like the other day. But are they on Shutter? One of them is for sure. I think the Littlest Reich, the newest one, is on Shutter. <laughs> not... The Littlest Reich. <laughs> yes, I'm. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm not sure how many of them were on Shutter. I happen to have a copy of the first one though. Oh yeah, I'm looking at one of them, uh, Puppet Master Axis Rising, and it's like Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nazis are a big part of the Puppet Master franchise. I had no fucking clue. See, this is how clueless I am walking through life. I mean, I'm schooling you right now. Just letting you know how many Puppet Masters are in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, Michael Champion as Bill. Uh, He was an American singer, songwriter, and musician. As an actor, he played in several TV series and films such as Diagnosis Murder, Matlock, 1991's The Flash as Captain Cold, History of the World Part 1, Beverly Hills Cop, and the original Total Recall. Uh, I did some digging, and apparently he basically quit acting, except for a couple of direct-to-video movies in 95, one horror movie called Evolver, and another forgettable thriller called Aurora, Operation Intercept. But according to his obituary, he quit acting after he became a born-again Christian. He then started to focus on God, family, and teaching boxing. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm a um, dojo now. No, I'm just Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not, not a dojo, not but a dojo. I mean, it does feel like it, that vibe, right? You know how, like, a lot of born-again Christians get really into mixed martial arts? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what is going on there, but there's I really some... don't get it. 
There's some weird correlation there. Um, I'm defending my belief. <laughs> I'm defending my mighty God. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, he died last June, although they did not list how he died. And uh, it seems like the director and Carol Kane are the only part of this movie that are alive. <laughs> Wow. Like if you if you didn't notice I'm like pancreatic cancer, dead, yeah. dead, dead. Yeah, and most yeah, they're like all dead except for Carol Kane and the director. I love Carol Kane. I hope she's the next Betty White and lives to be ninety-nine. Oh. Yeah. We said a little moment we had a moment of silence at work for Betty White when she died. Right? I was just home, but I did break the news to everyone in my house. <laughs> Cause you know, like the second I, I honestly I had a Google alert for for Betty White. Yes, for when <laughs> Betty White died. And it went off and I was like, oh God, it's oh. happened. <laughs> I know what this is. Uh if you guys follow our Instagram, you might have seen the uh tribute I had on our IG stories to Betty White. I had lots of I had fun quotes from her and music and uh you know, just a nice little tribute I to it. I still love Betty White in Lake Placid. <laughs> yes. She's so <laughs> she's great in Lake Placid. And that's a great and that's a great thing to bring up is, you know, Betty White in a horror movie. <laughs> we, should, we should all just go watch Lake Placid in Betty White's honor. <laughs> it's so fucking great. Yes. I love her so much. I'm rooting for the crocodile. <laughs> Amen, sister. I miss her already. All right. So we're going to get into the film now. This movie that starts off pretty strong, I think, and then slogs in the middle for a really long time and then picks up again, but never quite gets back the steam that it had at the beginning. I agree. Which, I like the last part. It got my heart rate going. Well, yeah, the last part, it picks up again, but it's never quite as good as the beginning. Yeah. And that's why it only has 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, folks. Ooh. Yeah. It's low. Which is funny, because everyone thinks of this film as, like, a classic, and it is, but it's not as good as anyone remembers, because remember, we only remembered the first part. Yeah, the again, first part. First part, best part. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, but it, first but part, anyway, best part. Yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna walk you through it, guys. Walk me through it. Walk me through it too with with our listeners. Let's walk. Let's walk together. Walk with Anna. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's my new exercise program. <laughs> Is okay. it like speed walking? Yes, we oh. have to. We have to also wear '90s era windbreakers and okay. sweatbands. Okay, and do we have to keep looking behind us like someone's following us? Uh, no, but we are okay. required to have two pound weights in each hand. <laughs> We're doing a little work, but not enough to really do anything. How about a roll of quarters? I will also accept a roll of quarters if you don't have to. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Jill Johnson, played by Carol Kane, is babysitting the children of Dr. Mandrakis, played by Carmen Argenziano at his home. When the children are asleep, Jill receives a telephone call from a man who asks her if she has checked the children. Have you checked the children? Oh, that was good. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Jill initially dismisses the call as a practical joke. I mean, and who wouldn't at first? Because you never think it's going to be you that's going to be attacked or something. Oh, I always do. I always think that. 
Well, yes, but most people... I just live in anxiety. Most people don't talk and obsess about crimes and horror films like we do. <laughs> True. We're uh, not normal. Well, it and is America's favorite pastime. I mean, I love us for it, so... Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> you guys are the same way, but you have to understand, we're not basic bitches. Not everyone does this. Yeah, we ain't no basic bitch. I mean, a lot of people are into true crime now, but n- not everyone. I don't think everyone's ever going to get into horror to the extent that I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just... way behind you. <laughs> you know, I'm we all so I'm good. You know, that's what this is for. We all have our obsessions and I'm trying to share mine with you and you and you and you <laughs> and you and that guy. No, he's not cool. But that guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and you fuck you fuck you fuck you you're cool i'm out i'm out <laughs> that's what i that's say that. every day when i leave work <laughs> uh, i love half-baked <laughs> Me too. i was really mad i looked for it the other day because i wanted to laugh and it's not streaming anywhere and i'm gonna have to buy a copy now oh no yeah i watched I just... mine so much it like ruined the dvd i didn't even think it was possible nice See, <laughs> you got usage out of it. Full-length usage. Yeah. Okay. So, again, back, uh, she thinks it's a prank phone call. And he calls again and again. And the calls increase in frequency. And they also increase in sound. The calls actually get louder with every phone call. The director did this. And I'll talk more about behind-the-scenes stuff later on in our fun facts portion. But yeah, he intentionally made the phone calls louder with each phone call so that it was more annoying and grating and got your heart racing more. Oh. Yes. I kept having to turn the volume up. Then I was like, fuck, it's too loud. And I was like, fuck this sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was fucking with you on purpose. Okay, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yes. Um, Jill becomes increasingly frightened, of course. And she calls the police, who tell her to keep the perpetrator on the line long enough so they can trace the call. Jill receives one final call from her harasser, and she stays on as long as she can, and she is on long enough for them to trace it. Immediately after the conversation, of course, the police phone to inform her that the calls are coming from a line located somewhere inside the house. Oh my god! Get out! And so there is a scene where she's like, slow-mo, has the phone up to her face. Oh no! And and then you say like a shadow from up the stairs, and then she runs to the door, and Oh, shit, she forgot to take the latch off. So she has to quickly undo that. And when she opens it, great transition here. Uh, (laughs) It's the cop who is just not actually at the front door. He's just out in the front yard, and it's way later on now. It's a good transition. And then it goes to seven years later. Now we are at what I like to call the boring portion of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Duncan has escaped from the psychiatric facility that they sent him to. Dr. Mandrakis hires John Clifford, played by Charles Durning, who investigated the earlier murders 
but is now a private detective. So he goes on the look for Duncan, not knowing Cliff Clifford is after him. The homeless Duncan is beaten after harassing a woman played by named Tracy, played by Colleen Dewhurst, in a downtown bar. He follows Tracy back to her, her apartment, and she kind of tries to, like, talk him into thinking that she might like him so that he'll leave, you know? And she sort of, like, takes a little pity on him, and she hopes that this will be the last she sees of him. Meanwhile... <laughs> the bar fight, sorry. Yeah. I like how he's like, hey, buddy, don't do that. (laughs) He's like beating his ass. Hey, buddy, don't do that. It's all very, like, some of the dialogue is very cheesy, especially the bar fight. Yeah, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. And he's like, give me that. Like, he doesn't even say it. He just snaps and points to the bottle. The bartender's like, huh? And he, like, gives them the bottle. And he takes a shot and then just pours a bottle of wild turkey on this guy. (laughs) What is this guy, a cartoon character? (laughs) No, I run this bar. (laughs) Just me playing pool by myself. (laughs) Exactly. I never graduated high school. I just live in this bar. I just live in this bar, okay? I'm a rough tub. Meanwhile, an increasingly obsessed Clifford confides to his friend, Lieutenant Garber, played by Ron O'Neill, his intention to kill Duncan rather than to have him recommitted. He's out on his own personal vendetta at this point to get this Duncan guy. Because this Duncan guy killed two innocent children. They were babies. They were babies. <laughs> I didn't mention that earlier, but but yeah. The, uh, the two kids, fucking dead as a doornail. Had been dead for hours when the cops got there. Yeah. So he probably, as soon as he broke in, fucking killed the kids and then proceeded to taunt and torture the babysitter. Cool. Cool, bro. Cool guy. Cool guy. Real cool. Uh, yeah, so regardless, Duncan's gonna go down. And Clifford's gonna see too. <laughs> Clifford the big red dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I think of when I hear his name. I know. I'm gonna like, murder this guy. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, it wouldn't take much for a Clifford-sized dog to kill a person. (laughs) True, and especially this weird guy because he just stares for really long periods of time. Well, I will tell you something about... Well, I already told you a little bit about the actor, and I'll get more into it. But the actor who plays the killer... As I said, he died six months after the filming. He was literally dying while filming. Oh my god. So that's why he doesn't look too hot. I feel so bad now. It's like fucking dying of cancer. He is. He's literally dying of cancer during the filming of this movie. Jesus fucking right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's why he looks weird. It's effective though. It is effective. <laughs> Using your tragic life to make art. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so Clifford tracked Duncan to Tracy's residence. He tells Tracy that Duncan literally tore the Mandrakis children apart with his bare hands, and Tracy reluctantly agrees to act as bait at the bar that evening in an effort to draw him out. Duncan, however, never appears. After Clifford leaves, Duncan comes out of hiding from inside of Tracy's 
closet. This freak. He likes to hide in places and scare the shit out of people. So Tracy screams for help, obviously. Clifford returns. He chases Duncan from the scene, but loses him in the streets of Los Angeles. Honestly, like I was saying earlier, this middle chunk is just, oh, I'm making it sound more exciting than it is. Because it's just, and it also like weirdly kind of paints Duncan in a sympathetic light in some ways. And it slows the momentum down so much. Yeah, it's really weird because they're like also the side story of what he was going through while he was in the hospital and they're like forcing him to take medication and holding him down and stuff. But yeah, exactly. So they make you almost feel sorry for crazy guy. But then you have to remember he brutally murdered two children and then you don't feel so bad about him. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, for zero reason. He literally just came from England went to this house and murdered these kids. Yeah. Like, what? Who does that? <laughs> no uh, motive. Nothing. Yeah. All right. So you've probably been wondering, where the fuck is Jill? Here's Jill. She's now married with two beautiful children. And one night, you know, as you do when you're married, she goes on a dinner date with her husband to celebrate his new promotion. He gets a car, too. Isn't that swell? Husband- <laughs> That's swell. Her husband seems like the kind of guy who would use the word swell, so I felt like I should say that. (laughs) Doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's swell, dear. (laughs) Absolutely. So, uh, meanwhile, their children are babysat by a young female babysitter, um, echoing Jill's old job as a teenager herself. Um, While at the restaurant, Jill gets a telephone call, and it's Duncan, and she hears the iconic line again, Have you checked the children? And the past trauma all comes back. Jill screams and Stephen comes to her side. They phone the babysitter to see if anything's wrong. And the babysitter is fucking puzzled. She's like, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. I, I don't understand. Like, I checked on the children 45 minutes ago. Now I just want to, like, talk to my boyfriend, okay? God. God. <laughs> she doesn't oh. say that, but she does say the 45 minutes part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so the police escort Jill back home, and her children are fine. So is the babysitter. Jill is still quite traumatized by the phone call. Upon hearing about the incident, Garber alerts Clifford, and Clifford tries to call Jill, but finds that the phone line is dead. It's been cut. You know, meanwhile, Jill has no idea that the phone line's been cut. You know, her husband talked her into going to bed. He's like, I'm a good shot. You know, I'll, we'll be fine. I can protect you. I'm your husband. Let me do this. We'll just go to bed. So she, he, you know, he talks her into going to bed. So they're asleep, and she hears, like, as the closet door's kind of opening, she hears Duncan's voice. And she wakes up, and she tries to wake her husband up, only to realize that the man lying next to her is, in fact, fucking Duncan. So, he chases her across the room and tries to kill her, but Clifford arrives just in time to shoot Duncan in the chest, mortally wounding him. I don't buy his death scene, by the way. He doesn't look like he's dying. He takes too long to fall over. <laughs> I like how he closes his eyes short. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not your best work, guy. I'm sorry. I know it was your last <laughs> role and you had cancer, but I'm a film critic. What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, he should have put his heart into dying since he Yeah, already... he was already he's literally already facing it. Yeah. Yeah, he could have really, really used that 
Yeah, <laughs> like really gone method with it. <laughs> Rest in peace, Tony. So Jill's husband, by the way, was found in the closet, unconscious, but still alive. And the children were checked and they were fine. And they were finally safe. And that's the end. The end. The end. See how it's fast. Heart beating. Thriller. Slog through the middle. Fast. Heart beating. Thriller. End. Yeah. What the fuck, what the fuck I, is that? Yeah, like the... I will say the one part that got me curious again was this long-ass walk this woman had to go home from this shitty-ass bar. True. I wonder if they were, like, stalling for time. Yeah, like, it's it's a good 15 minutes of her wearing, I don't know, early 80s fashion, late 70s fashion, big pants with high heels, nonetheless, she has to walk i mean she goes it's like sun uh, the sun's going down whenever no not really it's afternoon it's like the sun is up and she's walking for like 15 minutes and then it's just pitch black and she goes into these alleys and stuff and this this like cop wearing his adidas shoes (laughs) like super overweight guy he's not gonna chase this guy Is trying to keep up with this woman, like, power walking through the city. Mm -hmm. It's just, Mm -hmm. like, outtakes of her, like, zoomed out of her walking. Like, she walks a ways. She (laughs) does. And you gotta think that she's got bad blisters after that. And those shoes. She's wearing fucking high heels. I'd be fucking dying. Yeah. Fucking dying. (laughs) I would be barefoot, like, walking through the streets of L.A. before, like walking five miles in high heels yeah but you barefoot through la hey i've been drunk enough i got barefoot in new orleans i'm not proud of it but it happened you walked you walked in a lot of pee and cum that night oh pee cum puke Mm -hmm. somebody puked like here sprayed on my feet oh it was bad luckily i think the most i've ever had on myself was my own are you ready for some fun facts morgan i love fun facts Excellent. I know you do. You do love fun facts. You love fun animal facts, but I'm going to give you some fun film facts. (laughs) Uh, All right. So throughout the opening sequence, I told you this earlier, but I had already written it down. So I'm going to tell you guys again. Uh, Throughout the opening segment, director Fred Walton gradually increased the feeling of suspense by making each subsequent phone call ring a touch louder than the previous one. Also something I told you earlier, star Tony Beckley was terminally ill throughout the production. Because of this, he did not fit the description of the killer, but Fred refused to recast him as they were good friends. And he later passed away just after the principal photography was shot. Fred Walton, yeah. Fred Walton dedicated the film's 1993 sequel, When a Stranger Calls, to the memory of Beckley. So, originally, Fred Walton shot this film as a short entitled The Sitter, which was essentially just the opening 20 minutes of When a Stranger Calls. However, we got this movie and the horrible middle part basically because Halloween from 1978 was such a huge success. So Walton was like, I could expand this story out and make it into a full-length feature. I don't think you should have. (laughs) No, I think it could have just been a short film. But I also think if you were going to do that, that you need to walk it out. Like, the way I would have done it is I would have expanded on the short film by filming it in real time. Just 90 terrifying minutes of Carol Kane being terrorized by a maniac. Right? Uh, yeah. How good, how good would that be? That would be so much better than what we got. 
yeah, it'd be it. I think that would be better. Like finding the kids and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Like maybe saving them and the kids not getting murdered. I don't know. The whole thing. Fact- everybody gets murdered. Even the murderer gets murdered. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, how, I'm not sure how to handle the ending there. Maybe leave it as it is. I'm not sure. But definitely walk it out more and flesh it out within that, like, 90 minutes in the house span. In an interview for the film, Carol Kane stated that while watching the film in the theater, that people were screaming and talking to the screen during that iconic 20-minute opening scene. I mean, Carol, who doesn't do that during a horror movie? Do do people just watch horror movies silently? (laughs) I don't. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you doing that? What the fuck? I'm a talker. Yeah. Don't go up the the stairs. You're going to be fucking stuck up there. (laughs) Idiots. You were literally at the front door. (laughs) Yes, right? Oh, my God. Right off of a major highway. Yes. (laughs) Mark just climbed into bed and is like cuddled up at the foot of the bed and he just has a big grin on his face. <laughs> He's like, I just booped. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the character of the killer was based on a college acquaintance of director Fred Walton, who somehow could just enter a room and automatically make others in the room uncomfortable. Yet Walton felt enough sympathy for this person that the character of Duncan is treated with a fair amount of sensitivity. So just because he knew some guy that was creepy, but he knew them, <laughs> he decided to write the character that way. <laughs> All right. Uh, Kevin Williamson paid tribute to this film in the opening scene of his script for Wes Craven's Scream. I'm sure you saw the parallels to that, you know? Yeah. Drew Barrymore definitely. gets... Yeah. And I mean, if you haven't gone and listened to our Scream episode, what are you doing? What are go, you doing? Go listen to our Scream episode. It's literally our number two most downloaded one. Really? Yes, it's very popular. (laughs) Our first one is the most popular because it's literally the first episode and that's where everyone starts, I think. Uh, The opening 20 minutes of the film are number 28 on Bravo channels on the 100 scariest movie moments as they are repeatedly called one of the scariest openings in horror film history. This is probably at least the third time that I've referenced Bravo's scariest movie moments and I'll never stop. It's on YouTube. Go check it out. The whole series. The whole countdown. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I watched I watched it in real time while babysitting my then infant niece. And I was riveted. I've rewatched it probably ten times and I endlessly reference it. <laughs> it's like it's like a really solid countdown, despite the fact that it's from the same channel that does the real housewives. <laughs> Remember, Bravo used to have things like inside the actor's studio. when Yeah, James... they, they had really artsy stuff. Yeah, and then it became the home of trash television. Right there yeah. next to like TLC and the History Channel. What happened? They, used to, they all used to be good channels where you could actually get knowledge and not watch Thousand trash. Pounds sisters or whatever yeah that's a, real, that's a real show by the way yeah and then there's literal trash people that you watch like the hoarders oh yeah that's true <laughs> literal trash i think that's an a and e show oh um my bad they all blend together to me they're all they're, i think they're all by the same umbrella network they're all the same channel essentially it's all trash yeah trash bring back the old stuff educational shows please i want to watch biography and in the actor studio again i know james slipped in is dead find another acting 
guy to do yeah seriously oh i wonder who would be a good one i don't know i don't know I mean, oh. could we have Henry Winkler in character as his character on Barry, the acting coach? <laughs> that because would actually be beautiful. That would be amazing. I would love that. As Eugene, I forgot his last name on the show. That would be amazing. Oh, well, I can't remember. Is there another season coming out? Yes, it's coming. They've already written season two and season three. Season two is was filming. I think it's coming out sometime this year. Don't quote me I on that. I thought I'd seen season two. No, wait. Yeah. No, season one and two are out. They've already yeah. written season three and four. Yeah. Okay. I think. Yeah, I think. I think it's two seasons. Wait, or is it? Yes. I'm I so lost. I think so. I think it is. I just can't tell time anymore because 2020 was like everything stopped. So it's like a whole year of like nothing. The world just... did kind of stop for a year. It was like blackout. I blacked that whole thing out. <laughs> I, I didn't. Because it was a, actually a weirdly good year for me. Despite when we started our podcast. Yeah, it's when we started our podcast. I met Mark in 2020. 2020 was not a bad year for me. Nice. I know it was a bad year for a lot of people, but it wasn't that bad for me. Yeah, it was okay. It, it definitely could have been worse. Yeah. Yeah, there's two seasons out. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I've seen the second season. Yeah, okay. There's two seasons. Because it ends with a really big twist. I don't want to say Oh, it. I'm yes, not spoiling I, that. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes. John C. Riley would be really good. John like, C. Riley? Yeah, but not in like a funny position. Like he can be serious. You know what? And I know because I love I, him. I actually only saw him in serious things until like he did those movies with Will Ferrell. Yeah, like Anchorman and he was in what's Talladega Gil Nights. Yeah, he was in what's eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah, no, he's a really, really great actor. He is, despite that really awful Adult Swim show he had. <laughs> it's still funny. Hey, it's hot. It's real hot. <laughs> that was just such obscure weirdo humor. It's so great. But yeah, he was in Chicago. Yeah, I remember him being in Chicago distinctly. And he was in um band, not Band of Brothers. Oh, what's that one? He's been in a ton of shit, actually. Yeah, a lot. Oh, fuck. It's the war movie, Tom Hayes. Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, and he in Saving Private Ryan. I don't know. I'm not looking at his IMDb or anything. I am trying to get back on track, though. Sorry, so I'm really ADD right now. ADHD. Yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Ron O'Neill, who played Charlie Garber. Uh, had his real-life spouse appear in the film to play his character's wife. He was like, I don't want to act with someone who's not my wife. She could be my wife. <laughs> film was made before the PG-13 rating existed, and as a result, it was originally rated PG. But when it was screened for the head of the ratings board, the MPAA insisted it should be rated R because of its intensity and that it was too frightening for children to view without accompanying parents. When it was screened a second time for the entire committee following a lengthy discussion, it was eventually assigned an R rating despite its lack Lack of graphic violence. Huh. Yeah. Um, so the phone number of the house where the character Jill is babysitting, 555-2368, is the same house phone number used in Jamie Lee Curtis's house in the movie Forever Young, opposite Mel Gibson. It is also used in the Steven Spielberg film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This was also the phone number on Ghostbusters. <laughs> a super popular fictional telephone number i mean i'm sure 
I mean, it might actually be someone's phone number, you know, but it's also frequently used in fiction. Yeah. Tony Beckley, back to him, played the killer. He was said to be really high strung and sensitive during shooting, maybe because he was dying. <laughs> and he had become fascinated with Carol Kane and was fixated on her talent to the point that he wound up having a nervous breakdown on set and he felt so nervous and inadequate around her. Fred Walton was unable to fix the situation, but Colleen Dewhurst was. She talked to Beckley and said, you know, he was like, she's so talented. And Dewhurst was like, yeah, but we're better than her. And that seemed to uh, fix him. <laughs> he was no longer intimidated by her uh, confidence. <laughs> yeah. uh, during the first part of the movie in which Jill's at the Mandrakis. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This house babysitting, she can briefly be heard humming the chorus to Don McLean's American Pie. What? In the yeah. background? No, like she's like walking through the house and she just kind of like slowly sort of hums it under her breath. Oh, she's humming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sign of the times. I, yeah, um, I didn't even notice that. I didn't pick that up. Though Jill Johnson is supposed to be a senior in high school in the opening scene, Carol Kane was actually 27 at the time, which is a super common practice. Everyone knows that all the members of 90210 were in their 20s, and they were not teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, super common. I mean, I could probably play a teenager on TV. Do you think? Yeah, I think you could. Yeah, I think I you could pull it off, definitely. It's I like think so too. Did you watch that? Oh, it's an t- absolutely trash show, but Outer Banks? No, I didn't. They're supposed to be like 15. <laughs> there's this one episode where this guy is like one of the characters gets in a huge fight with his dad. And uh, it was like super serious. He's like, I'm about to be 15, dad. And then me and Andrew just bust out laughing because this dude looks the oldest out of all of them. And he's supposed to be 14. <laughs> He looks wow. like he's in his 30s. Well, now I'm going to have to, I mean, after the show, I'm going to have to look this up because yeah. I, I need to know now. <laughs> they're supposed to be 14 and 15 and they're like in their 20s and 30s. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. It is speculated that the voice of the caller is an uncredited but court. However, I couldn't find anything to confirm this. Court famously played Harold and Harold and Maude, and it's definitely the best May-December romance film of all time, in my opinion, and it has a soundtrack entirely of Cat Stevens songs, <laughs> which, fuck yeah. The most famous line in this movie, the calls are coming from inside the house, is used word for word in another movie that came out five years before, 
1974's Black Christmas, which I've definitely referenced before, again being used by the police telling the heroine that the man who's been phoning her is stalking her inside the house. Uh, this film also bears resemblance to the 1940s thriller Sorry, Wrong Number from 1943. It's another movie about a young woman holed up in a house receiving terrifying phone calls and who winds up getting killed by the villain she's been interacting with on the phone all night. Wow. That's even before crime that occurred. Yes. It's almost like since the invention of the phone, the idea of some crazy person calling you has terrified people. Yeah. <laughs> an urban legend before the urban legend became an urban legend. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm done. We'll take a short break and then... Morgan will tell us about the murder of Janet Christman. Yay. I shouldn't say yay, but I'm excited. It's a gruesome murder, but yes, we are excited to tell you about it. Hi, and welcome back. Morgan, tell us about Janet Christman's murder. Oh, if you insist. This is so sad. I know. Yeah. It's, um... This was like a terrible crime, and it's actually still officially an open, unsolved case. Yep. And they recently revisited it, I think it was 2018, if I'm not mistaken. They had tried to get the evidence from the case files that were in Columbia, Missouri, where the crime took place. But as I'll talk about later, the two sheriff's offices did not want to share their information so they had to go to both different places to try to get the evidence but when they renovated one of the police stations they like got rid of the evidence and no one can find it so not sure if the fingerprints are lost forever but it seems that way because there were footprints and fingerprints that were collected by both departments and neither of them have them they blame the other one, apparently. Don't you hate it when cops just, like, lose evidence? Yeah, and they don't fucking work together. I'm <laughs> like, why? I well, mean, it was... back then, that was one of the biggest problems is, you know, the left hand doesn't talk to the right hand. Yeah, no, and, like, I mean, this is 1950, and, of course, they work together more now, but still not all on the same page. There's still battle of the egos happening between, like, state and federal, but, like, you know, interstate crimes. Yeah. Um, those are... There, there's still issues with interstate crimes. So, and this now is... actually is a good show of what's going on right now with the shopping cart serial killer. You read about that? I have not. I've been a I've been in a research tunnel, so I haven't looked at a lot of news lately. They think this guy killed. Okay, they know four, but they think it, there are five victims that are linked to this guy. But he killed some women in New York, mm -hmm. and then he was found that he killed, I think it's four, maybe five in Virginia. Oh, um, so both of the states that we live in. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's New York. I thought there was one in New York, but there's some in Washington, D.C. and Fairfax County, Virginia, that wow. are all connected to him. Going on uh, dating apps... 
there's like stuff coming out constantly because they're all communicating and they're trying to go through open case files that where shopping carts were found near the bodies. Because he'd go on like dating sites, meet up with these women and then torture them at a motel room and then dump their body with a shopping cart out in the woods. Okay, I'm really glad that I'm not single. Yeah, it's really fucking creepy. And their ages are really wide. It's like 35 to like 50 something or 29 to 54. Yeah, bro doesn't discriminate. Yeah, no. He's not ageist in his murder. Yeah, and he actually crosses race barriers, which is rare. That is rare. That is rare. I don't know why, but we as a species like to kill within our own race for some reason. Mm -hmm. Or... Uh, yeah, it's it's usually, it's predominantly within your own race. Um, occasionally it'll be uh, another one and then solely that. But it's very rarely a mix. It's either one or the other. Yeah, it's usually one or the other, but it's both. Yeah, it's um, I mean, not a bunch of stuff coming out. Not like, you know, more than two types because there are. Yeah, but some people just kill everything. Everybody. Kids, women, mm-hmm. children. Babies, old ladies. Yeah, like Robert Ramirez. Yeah, yeah. You mean Richard Ramirez? Oh my god, why do I always call him Robert Ramirez? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. <laughs> is Robert Ramirez true. a real people? A person? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure someone is named that. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> so like a sorry. pretty common combo. Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Yes, um, the Night Stalker did not discriminate. If you seemed like someone he wanted to kill, he would kill you. Yeah, you're kidding. Yeah, okay. he's a crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> Okay, get on with that. Okay, so uh, Janet Christman, the victim here, uh, the babysitter, she was born March 21st in 1936. She was the oldest daughter to Charles and Lula Christman, I think. I saw Linda and then I saw Lula. I went with Lula. Uh, Is it Christman or Christman? Christman? Christman. Christman. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't know. Christ. I didn't even. Yeah, I don't. Because I, I said I said Christman at first, and then you said Christman, and now I don't know. I'll just I'll just say Christman because I'll probably I'll butcher it either way. No matter. I think what. Christman sounds better. Christman. So. Christman. I don't know. We're gonna go with Christman. Okay. So she had two sisters. One was only eighteen months younger than her, and another was only an infant at the time of her death. Uh, her parents had relocated from Boonville, Missouri to Columbia, uh, Missouri, and the couple ran Ernie's Cafe and Steakhouse in town, and the family lived above the restaurant, sort of like Bob's Burgers. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they lived above it, so... Uh, They're a well-respected family in the community. Um, She had integrated good there, had a lot of friends. Um, From interviews and stuff from family and friends, um, it seems like Janet was, like, a really good girl. Like, she sang in the choir. She played piano. She was really involved in church. Wasn't she saving up this uh, money to buy, like, an Easter outfit or something? Yeah, it was a burgundy suit. She was trying to pay for a burgundy suit for Easter. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but does it sound like she dresses like a little old lady? Kind of like um, the uh, girl from... um, Shit. 
what's her name? The the heavenly creatures girl, not Kate Winslet's character, the other one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> They're like very similar, except one was you know a narcissistic murderer, and the other one was murdered. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think just their style of dress may have been yeah, similar. They're, they're like little old ladies that have no style, even though they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah. She was, she definitely was a little old lady as a kid. Um, And you can actually see pictures of her and she does not look 13 at no, all. She looks very mature for her age. Yeah, she looks 40. She does. Um, she looks 40. She, she really does. Like... She's very grown up and she did like act like a young adult too, or, you know, like a woman. Um, she was very independent. She would buy her own things. She would work hard for the, her money. Apparently like she babysat other families um, in the area. And she even like turned down an invitation at a school dance. So she could uh, save up for this dress. Like, she yeah. had a really she had a better work ethic at the age of 13 than I do currently. <laughs> that's that's not true, Morgan. <laughs> no, I think it is ball. true. If <laughs> if if there was like a dance, I don't know. I don't even know the right I get I don't know. If my friends were going to a bar, I'd probably still work, but like like, if I had to pick up an extra shift and there was a chance to go to a big party, I'd probably choose the party right now. <laughs> um, to be fair, though, you're not saving up for an Easter dress. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, Easter suit, to be exact. True. You're not the saving up for an burgundy. Easter suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the color burgundy. That's such a depressing outfit, Jesus Christ. I know, and she was, like, so excited to get it, too, so... I know it's the 1950s, but, like, even when, the you know, back when my parents took us to church, (laughs) which sometimes would literally only be Easter, um, (laughs) (laughs) we would go pick out an outfit, but it would always be a spring outfit, like pastels and stuff, because it's Easter, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, she sounds like she's going to a funeral. Yeah, burgundy. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm really not sure of like, you know. I'm sorry, I'm ragging on the murder victim. I know. <laughs> she was such a sweet girl. Yeah, she's so innocent, so pure. She, yeah, she definitely was. Um, but that that night, uh, the fateful night of March 18th. Hold on, let me pull it up. Uh, Okay, so, like I said, she was (coughs) described as a um, very independent girl. Uh, She would babysit to earn money, and she would also babysit for, uh, there's two families, the Romax and the Mueller's, um, and she was babysitting for uh, Ed and Ann Romack and their three-year-old son, Gregory. On this evening of March 18th, 1950, sorry, she went over to their house, 
and the baby was already asleep. Um, so they had the radio going in the baby's room because the kid liked to sleep with the radio on. Um, and they just said, hey, just, you know, don't wake him up and it'll be an easy night and we'll be back later. And according to some reports I was seeing that he taught her to I, I don't know how true this is because it was other like crime podcast stuff that I would listen to and like read and like different articles I couldn't find this information I don't know about you but it said that the husband taught Janet how to load and unload uh, a shotgun so I couldn't find that but I'll just throw that in there because I read it Um, so just take it as it is Um, they were in kind of an isolated area outside of town uh the closest house is like a mile huh i'm sorry i didn't realize that i was muted because i was trying to say that oh no yeah i coughed earlier so i muted myself and i forgot to unmute myself sorry um what i was gonna say was uh yeah in my research i didn't find anything to support that so take the shotgun theory with a grain of salt yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff because it's so old and it's been you know brought out so many times like you said earlier the telephone game yeah heaven Heaven forbid that it was like the, our our third episode where we were doing the Lake uh, Bodum murders because oh, that God. was so hard to find stuff on because it was a long time ago and it was all in Finnish. Yeah, and it was really hard to follow that storyline. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, the film was trash. Um, <laughs> look forward to me remastering that episode uh, within the next month or so. Yeah, we should. I, I want to re-listen to that one. It was a good one. Well, I don't know if you saw, but I remastered uh, Heavenly Creatures. Last yes, week. yes. And I haven't sounds, listened yet. It I sounds saw. a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like our first. It was our second episode. Yeah. You weren't even a confirmed mainstay yet. <laughs> <laughs> I just have this girl, you know, she's just gonna say some stuff. She's my college roommate. She's <laughs> gonna be on the pod. Because <laughs> I cut in, I didn't, she's the only person I asked so far. <laughs> <laughs> No, you you went fervently through like twenty five people, like background checks and everything. And I no, you, you were you were literally the first person. I <laughs> you were the first person I told that I was doing it to. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you're special. Number one. Yeah. Bitch. Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I almost spilt my gin and tonic all over my computer, and that wouldn't have been bushy. That would have sucked. Oh, is it a purple empress? Uh, no. Actually, I ran out of that, and they were out of it when I went to liquor store. All the liquor stores are out of fucking liquor, dude. Oh, it's the, the holiday season got cleaned out. I know, seriously. I went in there for a Christmas present exchange, because they were, were doing an alcohol exchange, and sure. there were literally like no big bottles of barely anything so i got tons of airplane bottles oh damn and yeah and then i threw a um a smeared off ice in there as you do <laughs> <laughs> like bitch you got iced <laughs> we've got like a handle of beef eater gin Ooh. uh i had bought luckily i had bought uh a bottle of oh crap it's the stuff i love why am i blanking out on it it's the pretty blue bottle i just uh, out. the gunpowder uh, one. Oh. Uh, uh, rum Rochambeau. Uh, right. Yeah, that's my favorite. I bought a bottle before the holidays, and then Andrew thought I was it was empty, and so he bought another one. So now. Oh, nice. So you're good to go. But I'm back down to like one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, <laughs> as as one does when you imbibe the fire water. It's better than zero. Um, what? Bottles. What zero. It's better oh, than zero. Right, right. Because you uh-huh. haven't drinking yourself in a super. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back All to right. the poor girl. Anyway, yes. Okay, so with the grain of salt with the gun, I don't know how true that is. Couldn't uh, find it. But they left, I think it was like earlier in the evening, um, around like 7.30-ish, around 7.38, they told them, hey, he's already asleep. Maybe the gun thing happened. And then they left. Um, And they went to play cards and spend the night over at the other couple's um, place. The, um, what are they called? Uh, the other couple's house? Mueller's. They went Miller's. To the, Mue- the Mueller's. Mueller's. Like Robert's. Yes. Like the yes. Mueller report. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. It's the same family. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Don't I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, okay. So he, um, they left, and then sometime around 10.35, there was a call to the Boone County Sheriff's Department, and there was a woman on the other end screaming, um, and she was hysterical and said, come quick. And he was, um, the officer Ray McCowan said, hey, you need a call. Calm down. I can't understand. You have to tell me where you are. And she's screaming in the background. And then the receiver uh, was hung up. And there was just silent. And the phone went dead. So they couldn't trace the call. I mean, this is 1950. You need like a switchboard operator and some weird shit. But they couldn't trace the call at this time because they didn't stay on the phone long enough. So they didn't know where the call was coming from. Um, Later that night, uh, I mean, he was kind of freaked out about it because he said it was too scary or too real. And he he described it as a very scared woman or excited girl. (laughs) (laughs) That was in like the original news report I read. I'm like, oh, you're too excited. That was like a bad thing to be too excited. Like, fuck that. I love being Uh, excited. Yeah, people ended up in like psych wards sometimes because they were excitable. Yeah, Excitable, then you go to a psych ward. I would definitely yeah. be on there. The the hysterical woman. <laughs> my uterus. <laughs> it controls me. <laughs> oh no, I think I'm having my period again. Oh no. I can't control my excitability. All the men go hide for the next week. <laughs> Put Christ. the woman in a tent. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm really glad that women's rights have come a long way since 1950. Yeah, we used to be fucking banished to a tent. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, crazy. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> so, around 1.15, they had not heard from Jen at all. So, they didn't really call or anything earlier that night to check on see how things were doing but apparently before they left they called just to let her know they were on their way and they didn't get a call but this was around like 1 so they thought maybe she had already gone to bed like fell asleep um so they arrived home around 1 and that's when they came into a horrific scene so when they walked through the front door, they noticed Janet's body lying to the left between um, a, a couch and like a bookshelf, like through the walkway from the dining room. And she was sprawled out on the living room. There was blood smeared on the walls. 
You could tell that there was a struggle that had ensued through the living room, dining room, and the sitting room in the front area. Her neck had an a hot iron cord like that had been cut like to old ironing board thing ironing thing and cut that cord and that was wrapped around her neck and a shoe was displaced in in the hallway and one other shoe was still just hanging barely on her toe her legs were spread and blood had already pulled around her body and she was bloody and she was only three days shy of turning 14 so sad sweet little baby and uh so in this panic miss romack the wife had ran upstairs and to her discovery her three-year-old son was untouched nothing had happened to the baby and he was actually still asleep it's funny that the reality is the exact opposite of the movie the kids were fine babysitter dead as shit yeah and then in the movies like two kids were ripped apart with some guy's hands yeah like what what i just tore a leg off no um so yeah (laughs) sorry three three-year-old son was untouched he didn't even know what happened um and then in come police they bungled it (laughs) that's yeah that's the nice way of putting it they really just bungled it. Just mm-hmm, super mm-hmm. let the ball go because of fucking ego matches back in 1950s white man power. I don't know. <laughs> just like, swinging their dicks around, knocking yeah, shit over. Just big dick energy. Too much big dick energy in the room. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they have tiny. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Dueling egos. Yeah, they were definitely dueling their egos and not actually working together because some information was shared with one department and then other information would be shared with the other. But they weren't working together, which is right. so fucking frustrating. Nobody had all the fucking facts. Yeah, it was like the county police and the city police, I think, or the state police. I, I don't want to get this wrong. So it was two police forces that both said they had jurisdiction that's what it comes down to yes um so some of them collected fingerprints some of them collected the shoe prints and so it was like just a mess to begin with and one of them the boone county yes so it was boone county and then columbia county i think were the two that were saying that they had jurisdiction i don't know so they actually brought detectives and bloodhounds and the bloodhound um, yeah, so city police. The bloodhound went down the road and actually like went a mile away, like searching, and then it lost scent. I think it was like a mile and a half away. And this hound dog was actually in the vicinity where supposedly two of the main suspects live. Oh, once, oh. yeah, one suspect, he actually was like charged and everything, but we'll get to that. So the city detectives came and collected the reign of the investigation and were like, no, this is our shit. So then the county just refused to give them what they had seen. So they had blood smears, they had fingerprints, they had a broken window in the back, there were muddied papers uh, near a piano and near a couch, there was just her set of fingerprints and somebody else's, they didn't think that anybody else was involved in this crime, they had 
thought that the so one police force thought someone had broken the window and then the other police force was like oh no that's too obvious she would have called or like she would have ran out before this happened but whenever they did come to the scene the back door was wide open and the front door was unlocked um so they can't really be certain where the perpetrator like came from um but they're thinking that the window may have been broken before before he came in or maybe he tried um so still not sure um but they were working around the clock they were asking people questions um asking people like to come forward if they notice people acting funny but it's 1950 middle america what do they do racism immediately guessed it yeah immediately they pointed to this man named uh jake bradford he actually had been caught peeping through some windows around like earlier uh around this area he was watching a young woman change in a window so they ended up arresting him and then accusing him of another rape that had happened and an attempted rape of another woman. They had him confess to one of the rapes and then confess to the peeping, but he was refusing to um, admit to the attempted rape or the murder. And then at the end, he like, took back all of it was like no they forced me and i mean they they did some shady shit even with the other potential suspects they like led them to a barn and interrogate them for like 12 hours straight 24 hours straight Uh, that whole thing blows my mind so not only did you not even have permission to arrest this guy but because you didn't have you know a warrant to arrest him you then go question him in a fucking barn in the middle of nowhere because you can't take him back to the station. Good police work. Yeah, it's it's fucking terrible. It's terrible. Terrible. And, it's terrible. <laughs> and then, so I saw another report where they got a 35-year-old. So I don't know. The original report was of a black man named Jake. And then in subsequent reports was later, there was a another black man, Floyd Cochran, Cochran, who was 35 years old and he was a trash hauler. He had murdered his wife um, and then he con- attempted to commit suicide. And then they decided to put that. No, sorry, that was for another murder. But sorry, they accused a lot of black men of this crime. Uh, I'm yeah. trying to keep them all up like because there's really old newspaper articles. So I don't know if those were ever, you know, taken back because sometimes they redact what they said. Um, It's just their original newspapers. So there was one guy named Jake and then another guy um, for another crime. Um, Right. So basically the cop's gut instinct is to profile black men, even though they have no idea what the race of the killer is. Yeah. The Floyd Cochran actually was already put to death before this happened, but he was he was convicted of murdering. um, a girl named Mary Lou uh, in 1946. She It was sort of the same crime. She was 20 years old and it was February 5th, 1946. She had been brutally raped and murdered in like the exact same way at her house when she was alone. She was also 
choked with a cord the same way and left in the same way. Um, They did immediately jump on this guy who had killed his wife and he took back his confession as well, but he was sentenced to death September 26, 1947. They think that maybe this person was the same murderer, which makes sense. The same area and they never really got who killed the first girl because Floyd was definitely framed for this. Like they just set him up. They just wanted it to be done with and gone. Oh, it was just a black man. It's 1940s. No one will care. Yeah, that fucked up shit. Right. Go to scapegoat the black man. Yeah. So, of course, it's all racist. Definitely multiple people, multiple black men were taken in and held on this crime for a while. Um, Subsequently, Jake was released from jail. He did get charged with the peeping Tom and I think the attempted rape. But the girl who was raped was unable to identify him she said she wasn't sure so I don't think he I'm not sure if he was convicted of that one but there was also another suspect and that was the family she babysat for it was the other family that they had gone to visit so there's the Mueller's and then there's the Romax she was babysitting the Romax family but the Romax had visited with the Mueller's that night and Mueller was the one that they believed he was named the major suspect. He's um, who I th- I think he did it too. I really do. Like what a creative guy. He's so fucking creepy. So he had served in the Army Air Corps. He was a captain. He was released with honors. He had served in World War II and then he came back to Columbia and his, uh, so it's the same town and his father ran a restaurant too. So they were all in the same kind of group of people. Mueller Virginia Cafe with his father's restaurant and that's where he was working so the Mueller's the Romax and Janet's family all knew each other but one big thing that is really creepy is that the wife of Romac Ed Romac she had actually had a weird encounter with Mueller and said that whenever she was like making a dress or something he came over and put his hands on her and he she had said in a formal statement that he didn't use he doesn't use words he uses his hands yeah so he would touch people like you know on like i don't know without consent yeah and he was, he was uh... Handsy. Yeah, he's a fucking creep. And he had also said to uh, Ed Womack before, like a a few days before, that he had said a comment about her uh, development and talking about her boobs and her hips. There is nothing creepier than when, like, a middle-aged man looks at a teenage girl and is like, my, you're developing well. Yeah. How do you think that makes anyone feel good except yourself yeah it makes you sound like a fucking pedophile but it's good they say it out loud so then you can avoid them it's the ones who don't say it that scare me yeah because those are the ones that sneak up on you yeah yeah but this guy mueller bad dude he was gross so that night there's different reports don't know how you know solid this is but the romax as well as Janet's family, the Christmans or Christmans were convinced that he was the killer. And like you said, Anna, I, th- I think he did it too. But it's it's been so long, there's so much information out there that I couldn't find the official 
police reports because they don't exist anymore because all that stuff is lost. But right. I'm, and Bro's huh. dead. Yeah. He lived a long, full fucking life. Mm, unfortunately. But according to Romac, they said when he was at the party with them playing cards, he said he was going to meet a doctor for his son. Zahir say, and he disappeared for two hours during the party. Ah, uh, you went to see a doctor in the middle of the night? That's what I don't get. Like, <laughs> I don't know. What? And also, um, Ed Romack reported that he got a call from Mueller the next day saying he could help him clean up the house afterwards. Like, clean up what? the blood. But uh, what? <laughs> no information had been printed yet about the crime. No pictures or anything. So they're like, well, how would he know? There was a whole bunch of evidence gathered, but lack thereof from the fucking a county or city, whichever. So they did bring him in. They, they took him into the barn and interrogated him which is completely legal and it was illegal then too then he was also giving a polygraph test back then these were like gold if you pass the polygraph then you were set free i uh, think they polygraphs didn't realize, yeah. they didn't they clearly didn't realize that uh polygraphs can be uh gamed really easily yeah yeah like you if you can control your heart rate and breathing and everything, like you can pass a fucking polygraph. It's it's literally just your heartbeat. Yeah, and sociopaths are like really good at that. Yeah, fucking psychos. So yeah. So after this, he had passed. They fucking let him go. Of course they did. So then they're like, oh well, we have all this fucking information on him, but he passed the polygraph. And they're like, well. We have to gather more information. So they kept asking around and people are giving a lot of information about like what, why he did it pretty much. So they ended up not having enough evidence to form an investigation or it, it was so bungled and so incompetent, like police work that they were unable to form a case or bring him to a grand jury. So afterwards, he actually sued the police department because of this and said he was unlawfully detained. And I think it went back to him being kept outside of the city limits in a fucking barn for like 12 hours. You know, it's at, <laughs> it's at this point that I hate to agree with the guy, but uh, he had every right to sue them. Yeah, he ended up losing um but but he, but he totally should have won because like 100 percent illegal what they did yeah it's it's and i know i feel bad too for the police because you know that they didn't want to like not solve it like they just didn't know what the fuck they were doing like because yeah. there was yeah. one police officer that said that this case haunted him that he was never able to solve it and I feel bad for the man, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you need to put your ego aside and work together. And but that didn't happen. And I think that's why he got away. And no other crimes like this occurred around this area ever again. Um, there weren't these string of rapes and murders or anything. So it was like the last bad. I, I mean, like of a young schoolgirl being murdered. There's definitely crime after this, but nothing well, sure. like this. Sure. And. I mean, the um, the main suspect, uh, Robert Mueller, 
he actually relocated shortly after this, after he lost the lawsuit, and he moved to Tucson, Arizona. Um, yeah. And he fucking lived to 83 years old. Son of a bitch. If he was in a nursing home and he, you know, confessed to you, I killed this girl, like, email us. <laughs> yeah, seriously. If you know anything, let us yeah, know. Because seriously, I worked in a nursing home and people confessed to fucked up shit. Oh, I never... I've never had, like, crazy, crazy stuff, but I, I have had some weird, like, I started a new life and a new family because I ran away kind of thing. Oh, not like, I mean. Not like I murdered someone, but you never well, know. sure, but I mean, the whole franchise family thing is not uncommon. Yeah. That's what I like to call it when they're setting Franch- up franchises. <laughs> franchises. Yeah. yeah. I got a franchise out here in uh, Tucson, Arizona, and uh, one in... Uh, uh, Kentucky. <laughs> no, for I real just, though, like <laughs> I just said, I was going to get cigarettes, and I never came back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, my grandma's uh, ex-husband um, ended up having this relationship with this woman, and she was like that. She had a baby with him, and like when the kid turned, like I don't know, like maybe two or three, she dipped. Oh damn! Yeah, and she and that wasn't the that wasn't the first time she did that. She had previously had a little girl with some other guy, and then like several years in, she quit, and then she moved somewhere else. And um, when she and that's the funny thing when she met my grandma's ex husband, who was Iranian, by the way, or Persian rather. she like started tanning excessively to like make herself look more virgin. Oh, that's like the grifters. I don't know. I just think of that. And then she left him for a black guy and started tanning even more. I wow. bet she I bet she probably had a kid with him and then probably left him for someone else. Maybe she was trying to set up it's a small world and have a kid of every race. I don't know. That's wild. I mean, she she already had two different kids with different races all i'm saying is she was setting up some franchises yeah like i i don't get it like people i mean it was so easy to do it back then and i'm not like condoning it or anything but now it's 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 like way harder to do that now Well, back then but dude this was like the early 90s when this chick was doing this oh wow like i was three did he get like a private detective or something or somebody no, like, I how mean, did they, you all they, figure it out? They broke. Well, like she just broke up with them and was like, "I'm leaving you for this guy." But she had. But I mean, she like still like wrote letters to her daughter, and that's how we knew that she had left someone a kid before. What the fuck? Yeah, but she like wasn't in his kid's life. Like my grandma practically raised that kid. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty wild stuff. Yeah, like all the uh, DNA testing and stuff now, there's a lot of people finding, like, hidden families. Yeah. It's fucking wild. You know, those guys that had five different families when they were traveling salesmen didn't anticipate 23andMe. <laughs> I just wish my stepmom would do one. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> she looks Latina, and her the rest of her family is blonde hair and blue eyes 
and uh, her family uh, uh, still to this day like she's in her 50s her family's like no we uh-huh. both had you i was like no uh-huh. you didn't i think i think mom's no, you did man <laughs> yeah yeah there was some cheating clearly it's very obvious they're I... all like six foot and she's like five foot latina Yo, I am <laughs> invested in her DNA results now. Know, you gotta was, let me know. <laughs> I was really gonna buy her a 23andMe, but we're not that close, and I think she would think it was like an insult. But I'm, I'm fucking invested. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, do you ever see this woman? Who my stepmom? Yeah, like twice a year, once a year, maybe. All right, all right. <sighs> Dude. Yeah. That's I why buy I one. I just want to gift it anonymously, maybe. Maybe, yeah, just like have one sent to her. Yeah, if anybody knows her, <laughs> don't tell her. But I'm gonna gift it to her anonymously. <laughs> I know she doesn't listen, but okay, I can't wait to find out. <laughs> hey, when I when I did mine, I found out that I was like a significant portion Norwegian. So I'm fucking a hundred percent white. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm very white. I just have different regions of white. I'm like 21% Norwegian. I'm like... I could see that. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm like 40% German or something like that. And then the rest is like split between Scotland and England and Ireland. Yeah, I'm yeah. just like Scottish and English and that's it. Yeah. I had no idea that I had any Scandinavian. I knew about the German and the Scottish and the Irish and the English, but no fucking clue about the Norwegian. And now I'm, like, really pumped for our Norwegian episode that we're doing soon. Fuck, yeah. I I still need to watch that movie. Where can I find it? I think it's on Hulu, dude. What movie is it? Lords of Chaos. Lords of Chaos. Yes, our next episode is on Lords of Chaos versus the black metal uh, scene and the murder and chaos that arose around it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and I'm covering the crime this time. I've read a thick-ass book on these crimes and a bunch of fucking interviews, and I've been knee-deep in research for about a month now. Yeah, you've you've been reading all that stuff for a while. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Norwegian death metal. I've been listening to Bathory a lot, which is like Viking death metal, I guess. Um, but it's also kind of like uh, melodic, too. Melodic Viking death metal, I guess you would call it. Bathory is also, I'll talk about Bathory in the episode, but, you know, I digress. So, Morgan, what have you been up to? We're done with the case, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still open and unsolved. And yeah, sadly. So, Morgan, uh, yeah, what are you up to? Ooh, I don't even know. Um, work. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you watched anything or uh, anything? Mm, I watched. <laughs> yeah, I watched uh, the last duel. Okay, that's with um, Matt Damon, right? Yeah, and his best friend. Ben Affleck. Yeah, they're both in it. Because I was like, oh, man, there's 
Matt Damon. I was like, I wonder where his best friend Ben is. And then the next scene, it was him. And I was like, that's fucking Ben Affleck. I knew there. Yeah. Because I didn't look up anything of the movie beforehand. I've just been kind of ignoring it for a while. I love and, that he's in it. And also, they haven't been in a movie together in a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Mm-hmm. And I fucking love Adam Driver, but um, I don't know how I feel about it. Because there's barely any duel. Like, the fight scene at the end was really great. And the whole, like, I don't know. It's it's all about rape. And I had no idea. Yeah, NPR had a pretty iffy review about it, like... They were like, it's not great. Yeah, it's not that great. And, I mean, I hate saying that, like, um, you know, Me Too movement. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I was just like, I was not expecting that. I wanted, like, action. Don't name it the last duel when the majority of the story is, like, a court case. Like, a noble court case of rape. Yeah, that's like calling the exorcism of Emily Rose about an exorcism. It's really way more about the court case of her death. Yeah. Yeah, I hate that. And and it like pulled me in and I had to commit. Like I was like, okay, let's just do it. Let's just watch it. Like you had to commit. And I don't know. I was deeply disappointed. The fucking fight scene at the end was epic though, I will say. At least you got a good fight scene. Yeah, I do like fight scenes. Because that's um, like all you wanted out of that movie, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's why I chose <laughs> it. Um, and then I watched this other movie with Adam Driver in it, because I'm on an Adam Driver kick, apparently. I do love Adam Driver. <laughs> but I watched Annette. Have you seen it? Uh, I have not. It's a psychological drama film that's a musical. It's a, as Wikipedia says... <sighs> A musical psychological mm-hmm. drama. It's crazy. I okay. enjoyed it. It was a ride. So, um, like, how much singing are we talking about? N- like, barely any, but also the whole time. Um, It's what? so fucking dark. It goes from, like, super light-hearted love story to super fucking dark and twisted murder hmm. spree. Hmm. Okay. So uh, maybe I'll get really stoned and watch it one night. Yeah. Um there was a point where I was like, I wanna turn this off, but I've committed to this too. Um it's <laughs> it's very well put together, super artsy, love the shots, um, and like all the songs and everything. Um the themes are really good. There's like child abuse in it. Um, it's it's good. It's really good. You've been watching some fucked up shit, Morgan. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I need to watch a good movie because then I ended it with Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. William Wallace. <laughs> Which William Wallace did not get stretched out. Um, he was quartered after his death. He was pulled apart after his death. And then they took his limbs and put them in different areas where Scotland was trying to revolt against the the king. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the reality of Braveheart. Yeah, he actually was hung and then beheaded and then quartered. And then his body was separated 
across the land. I didn't make as good of a story for Mel Gibson, though. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, Braveheart! Freedom! You cannot take our freedom! Which, that's, I guess, like, I don't know, a majority of my DNA results were Scottish. <laughs> Well, you're more Scottish, I'm more German and Norwegian, whatever. Yeah, it's like when I hear the bagpipes. Just like, ah, Celtic Fest comes a colony. Got to go back. (laughs) What'd you say? I said Celtic Fest comes a colony. (laughs) Back when in around our hometowns, we didn't come from the same town, but near towns. Back in our hometown region, there was a Celtic fest every fall. And there's yes. a lot of bagpipes, a lot of dancing. And it was in Gluckstadt, which no, means it, no, it Lucky was at the Town. Ag, no, it was at the Ag Museum. Oh, well, you went to the one in Jackson. I went to the one in actual Gluckstadt, which is Germantown. You're, you're talking about the Oktoberfest. The Oct- no, it was Germanfest. Well, yeah, yeah. Oktoberfest, German fest, that's different than Celtic fest. Those are two separate things. Oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I don't know. Because Celtic fest was that. I could have sworn you said Oktoberfest. No, Celtic fest. Because, <laughs> you know, um, Scottish and Irish. <laughs> I could have sworn maybe I heard you wrong, but I think I heard you wrong. Um, yeah, Celtic fest, Why completely you- different. Yeah, why would there be bagpipes at German Fest? Oh, I don't know. You, we went from bagpipes to <laughs> to Germans. I have no idea. I have um, been. To, I have been to the German Fest in Gluckstadt, though. Yeah, in Lucky Town. I Gluckstadt. Yeah, I drank a lot of beer and ate um, sausages and shit. I remember when I was a kid, my brother Blake. We couldn't find him. Like, where the fuck did he go? And we would always have this happen. And this was the second or third time we found him on stage dancing the uh the chicken dance with old people. <laughs> <laughs> that was like his thing. If there was a chicken dance, he's gonna be missing. Cause that was his thing. Like ever since we were like five or something. I think that's the most pure thing I've ever heard about your brother. Yeah, probably is. Cause he would, yeah, he would terrorize everything. But he, one time at Disney World, he did the chicken dance on stage um, somewhere at Disney World. I don't remember. That was like one of my earliest memories. Um, and then another time we were vacationing we were like stopping at um this hotel in missouri on the way to iowa and it was like a german beer house or something and they had um a chicken dance that would come on like every 30 minutes like get up and go dance and he went missing again and he was on stage again dancing the fucking chicken dance with these old people So if Blake's um, ever near a chicken dance, you will know where to find him. Um, I think I know, like, that's, like, you know how when you summon Bloody Mary, you say Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody oh, Mary. Oh, don't say, oh, you said it three times. Oh, no. <laughs> to summon Blake, you just turn on the chicken dance music. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, I haven't done anything too incredibly interesting. I've been house sitting for um, closing in on a week come tomorrow. And um, yeah, I sang karaoke in their basement on their in-house karaoke stage today. Fucking sick. For about two hours. I got pretty sucked in for a while there. <laughs> Did you see any uh, Norwegian black metal? Um, no. First of all, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of pig squeals. And, um, Scare the dog. Well, not that. It's just those are things that I physically can't do with my voice. Um, and I'm not going to try to. Uh, I have, you know, a delightful little vocal range. I'll tell you some of the songs I sang, all right? I sang I Want You by Elvis Costello. Nice. I, I sang Million Reasons by Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a good song. Um, I sang Ghosts by Laura Marling. Oh, I love Laura Marling. Me too. Oh, she's so uh, beautiful. Yes, she is. I sang Two Birds by Regina Spector. Nice. Uh, oh, I love that song. Me too. Um, that's my favorite album of hers as far. Um, what else? What else did I sing? I sang uh, Criminal and Shadow Boxer by Fuck Fiona yeah. Apple. Fiona Apple. So, if you're sensing a theme here, I sang ballady songs that I can do in my vocal range. Oh, <laughs> and I sang um, She's Not Me by Rilo Kiley. Oh, no, um, no. Uh, Does He Love You by Rilo Kiley. She's Not Me by Jenny Lewis. I don't know that last song. Oh, it's off of her, not newest album, but her album before that. It came out in, like, 2014, I think. Hmm. It's a good one. Look it up. She's not me. Jenny She's Lewis. not me. All right, I'll look it up. Yeah, it's a good song. So, yeah, I sang a bunch of, like, indie female song singer-songwriters, except for, I guess, Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> but I unashamedly love her. You didn't sing uh, Bad Romance? <laughs> no, I don't like that period of her music. I like everything from Joanne After. Ah, uh, okay. So the Joanne album came out in 2016, and it's my favorite album of hers. And then I really like when she shows her vocal range and isn't poppy and is more... Um... I mean, there's pop songs on Joanne for sure, but it sh it's really a good show of her vocal range, and it's not... The shitty shit from her. Not that all her early stuff was shitty, but it's not her best work. Well, she has more. I, I love her with Tony Bennett. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Like My when favorite. she does more sophisticated things, because she's got a really good vo voice, but sometimes her music doesn't showcase that. Yeah, I agree. I like. I love the Star Is Born soundtrack. Yeah, I just love the Tony Bennett. We listened to that for Christmas this year. <laughs> nice. It's just well, uh, give give a uh, Joanne and the star the Star is Born a Star is Born soundtrack a, a try. It's I'll uh try it. it's more mature, Lady Gaga. 
if you will. Uh, if you will. If you will. Mature. Yeah, I actually wrote an article about Joanne uh, back when it came out. It was on my top 10 of 2016 list. Top 10. Yes, top 10 albums of 2016. And if you go through my list, it's very NPR-esque. Because <laughs> I'm that kind of lady. And you know what? NPR can can be hip with their choices. I think they I just... first heard about Laura Marling on NPR a long time ago. Mm, that may be where I heard of her, too, actually. I want to say maybe on All Tiny... Songs Considered. It was either All Songs Considered or Tiny Desk. No, Tiny... Was it Tiny Desk? I don't know. Because I like the NPR Music Tiny Desk concerts. Me too. I've loved her for so long now that I don't remember how I discovered her. Me too. I I think, for me, I think it was Tiny Desk. It was, I know the time period. It was like around the time I met you. Mm. Or maybe a little earlier. No, I, what? No, that was 2008. I didn't know yeah. her then. Oh, well, that's when I started listening to her. It was no, like, I think mine was like 2011, 2012. I want to say it was like 2009, 2010 for me. Yeah, I think I, think I heard her on Tiny Desk. Yeah. Well, I love her. Anyway, um, on that note, uh, go listen to Laura Marling. Fuck yeah. She's great. Uh, my favorite song by her is My Manic and I. Aww. I like that one. It's a beautiful song. Um, yeah, so it's late, and I'm taking up the bed, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go. Say but... hi, Mark. <laughs> oh, hi, Ma. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you guys in about a week. Yay! Get ready to rock. Yeah, you're gonna hear about more church burnings and uh corpse paint than you've ever heard before so fucking excited get your pig blood ready indeed get your pig blood ready because there will be pig blood (laughs) yeah a lot of it (laughs) uh less than you think but um, there's more there's more human blood than pig blood actually okay we need room for more blood yeah um we'll get into it (laughs) okay All right. Uh, See you guys later. Bye. Bye.
imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.